God, you've made us to love and to be loved. Deep down, we know that apart from you, there's just not enough of anything to fill us up. But by your love, you have made us whole. Thank you for loving us first. Even when we had made ourselves unlovable through our sin, your grace moved you to come in Christ and give yourself for us. Thank you. Thank you for making us new and setting things right through your humble self-offering in the crucified Lord of glory. God, you are love. Thank you for loving us. It feels like this whole world is spinning and crazy. People made in your image, God, have failed to treat one another with the dignity and honor that every person deserves. We see it everywhere we look. In school and at work, in our homes and in the government, between countries, in the church, too. We're tired of unkindness. We've had enough of the inhumanity, enough of the divisions and the cruelty. The one thing we don't have enough of, oh God, is love. So we ask you this morning to help us be the love which the world needs. Empower us, we pray, to love one another, not only in word or in speech, but also in deed and in truth. Help us look more like love. So when people see us, they see you, the one who is love. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know that as followers of Jesus, our chief responsibility is to love one another. That's the one thing above all other things that God has invited us to, to give love to one another and to receive love from one another, to love one another in just the way that God has loved us in Christ. It's simple to say that we should love one another, but you know how complicated it is to do that, don't you? Because love has so many facets. And we've been, as a community, gathering each week to learn how to be the kind of community that Jesus intends. And in some way, really, we've just been learning about what it looks like to love one another. And that's the thing that we all need, every one of us, wherever you are in faith, wherever you are in church, love is what you need. And then what God has made us for is to love one another and the world around us as we receive the love that he's given us in Christ. And this morning, we're going to learn again about what that love looks like. It's got so many facets. Uh, today, it will be the kind of love which tells the truth even when it's hard to tell. The kind of love which offers a word of correction where it's needed. The kind of love which speaks up not to please the people around us, but to profit them. Do you know what I mean? See if this rings true. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. Professor Dumbledore said that. We all need friends who will not only stand up for us, but stand up to us. Do you know that? And we all need to grow to become friends who not only will stand up for the people around us that God has given us in our lives, but also now and then stand up to them because all of us are going to find ourselves going the wrong way. And we need someone who's courageous enough 
and this is important, who loves us enough to tell us what they see. Sometimes it will be stubbornness that'll make us go the wrong way. Sometimes it will be forgetfulness or, or just plain old ignorance that makes us go in the wrong way. But what all of us need and what Jesus intends us to be for one another is someone who will help us get back on God's path by telling us the truth that we've either forgotten or don't want to hear. This morning, we're going to learn about our responsibility to admonish our friends in the community which Jesus is building as an act of love. If I'm correct, you probably haven't recently thought, I need to become better at admonishing people. Am I right about that? But, but as rare as it is for us to talk about that, it's just that important for us to grow to become people who are responsible to do that for one another. In the community of faith, yes. In the relationships that's, that have been given to us with our children, if we're parents, or spouses, if we're married, with our friends who need the wisdom that only we can bring because they lack it, as much as you would admit that from time to time you've lacked wisdom and needed it from someone else, yes? And wherever we find ourselves, we need to grow in this area. We're gonna start this morning with Paul's description, an apostle who taught about the importance of being able to speak up to one another as an act of love. And that's what I'm gonna ask you to hold in your mind throughout this morning that the reason we're learning together about correcting one another is because we have to love each other, and this is one of the ways we do it. Look at these remarkable words in the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church in chapter three, verse 14. Here's what he wrote. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Your chief aim, your first and your last goal, the one that's more important than everything else that you will pursue together as Christians, the foundation upon which all good things will be built, according to Paul, is loving one another. And we ought to pursue it so that it is our essence and the very center of our spiritual and moral aims together. That's what it means to clothe yourselves with love, that that should be our primary goal. And when we do that, uh, when we pursue above all things, then Love, then all that needs to be held together will be. That's what it means to say it will bind everything together and not in the kind of uniformity where everybody is singing the same exact note, but rather like a harmony where different voices are blended together just right. When we pursue love first, then all that needs to be held onto will be. And it will be like a song that has two or maybe even three parts of harmony. When we do that, look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 15. And let... The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. When love is first, then what comes is peace in our hearts, the peace of Christ. You all want more peace in your hearts, don't you? God made us for that. And then the kind of cooperation that we'll find amongst one another will be like different parts of the body, like the way that a hand and a foot work together, or an eye and an ear. And that's God's will for the community, according to Paul, that we would be united in common purpose that will be facilitated by love so that more and more we're grateful people. We'll be thankful. Have you recently thought, I wish I was less grateful? Of course not, right? We all want more of that. And Paul says here, the way to that is love. Now, here's the, the lesson for this morning, especially. If we do prioritize love and we find that unity and that peace and that harmony, what will be at the very center of it? Look at what Paul goes on to say 
in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. There it is. If the community puts love first, then it begins to take responsibility for itself as each one has Christ's word governing his way with her, her way with him. And then what is sure to follow is we will become people who love one another by choosing, look at it again, to admonish one another in all wisdom. This is one of the ways we will look more like love. And that's what the world needs. The world is spinning and it's crazy. And what it needs is a community that looks more like love. First in the way that it loves uh, those who are a part of it and then in the way that altogether the world is loved by that community which is growing in love. And here we learn in a way that is surprising that love looks like admonishing one another. Let's spend time here in Greek. Admonish literally means to instill sense in someone, teaching him what should and should not be done. If you look back on your own life, can you admit that at certain critical points, you lacked sense? Yes or no? How many of you have suffered or hurt other people because you didn't know which way you should go and you went the wrong way? Any of you? How about this? Have any of you had someone in your life who was wise enough to speak up and say something and you completely ignored them? Yes or no? I have done that massively. But here we learn that love involves not just imparting information, but impressing upon the will of the people around you the importance of a change of direction for the sake of well-being. Uh, to admonish means to have a corrective influence without provoking, without causing bitterness, but instead to benefit the other by standing up to him if you have to, by challenging her if necessary, to tell the truth when that person is going the wrong way. Do you know that not everybody enjoys having someone tell them where they're doing the wrong thing? It can make a person angry. It can make them feel really uncomfortable. It can make them distance themselves from you and say, who do you think you are to tell me what I'm doing wrong? All of those things are true, but, but right beside that is the deeper and more important truth that without the help that God means to give us from one another, all of us are gonna be in trouble because we can't go the right way without the help of the body that God has given us to point us back in the right direction when we go the wrong way. The fact is, when we let Scripture teach us, listen to this, then admonition becomes a form of love. That is, when I stand up to my friend and I say, you're not going to like this, but I have to say it. You're going the wrong way. That's one of the ways I'm going to love him. And what we need, what we need, all of us, is we need one another to love us in this way. And it's really hard to do, don't you think? But listen, the path to faithful and effective admonition is right there in what Paul said. Look at the, the first clause. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And that's how, that's how our admonishment can become faithful rather than foolish. That's how our words can profit the other person rather than just pushing them away because the word of Christ is a treasure and he speaks that word to all of us. And listen to me now. Open your heart to this. The first word that Christ gives to each of us is this. You are my beloved. And we can never hear that often enough. 
We can never take that deep enough into our hearts. But if we will, then we'll hear another word, which is from Christ. The one who's doing the wrong thing, that one over there, I also love that one. And I need you to say something to them because that's how Jesus designed us so that we would need one another to speak up. And thankfully for us, the word of Christ, which was meant to dwell richly in us, also includes words directly given for situations where uh, correction is required. Uh, And and I, I suspect Paul knew this, that when he told us to let Christ's word dwell in us, Uh, For the sake of admonishing effectively, he knew that Jesus taught about what it looks like when one person needs to be admonished by another. And so we're going to spend some time there together to let Christ's word dwell in us for the sake of faithful admonishment. In Matthew 18, as Jesus was teaching the disciples, he brought up the subject of what it looks like when one person is required uh, to come and correct another. In chapter 18, verse 15, look at what, what Jesus teaches. If another member of the church sins against you, do you think that might ever happen? Go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Here is very thoughtful instruction for how to confront another member of the community of faith when they do something wrong. This is not guidance for how to go out into the public and and correct the general citizenry for all the things they're doing wrong. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. It's for people whose lives overlap enough to be a part of the same assembly. And, And in the body that Jesus is envisioning here, the commitment he expects us to have to one another is that we are willing to see one another, listen to this, as brothers and sisters because he loves us all and he calls us all his children. And if that's true, then listen to this, A sin from one person against another is not only a sin against that other person, but really it's against all of us in some measure. That is, when one person harms another, that affects all of us, and we're responsible for speaking up, whether it's directly against us or against another person, or even when we see a brother or sister sinning against himself or herself. Haven't you ever seen that? Here, Jesus is teaching us that when that happens, it's time for someone to say something. And the way in which you say something is to go to that person. And find a time where the two of you can speak alone. Do you see the tact which is there? Not when you see someone doing something wrong, grab someone else and start talking about it because that's a lot of fun. Not turn the other way and pretend you didn't see anything because it's going to be awkward to speak up anyway, so don't get involved. But rather, because you love that person, share your concerns with them face to face and look at what might happen. This is the second part of verse 15. If the member listens to you, You have regained that one. There we see the motive behind Jesus' teaching, which is to regain someone who might otherwise be lost, to help a person who's wandering down a path which is going to be so bad for them that eventually they might disappear altogether. Jesus doesn't want that because he loves every little sheep. Now, this kind of direct confrontation, which if I'm right, makes you feel a little uneasy to imagine. Yes, it doesn't always work. And Jesus anticipates that. And so in verse 16, he addresses what to happen if it doesn't work, what to do if it doesn't work, verse 16. But if you are not listened to, he says, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Maybe the one-on-one conversation will fail. Anyone ever experienced that? 
Maybe it will feel too personal, like the accuser has a hidden agenda or a hang-up. Would anyone here who had confronted another person admit that was what was going on for you? Yes? Good. One person. Only one of us is honest. It happens. Right? It happens that it's just our thing. And so Jesus says, bring two or three others, because if there are two or three others along with you, then if it is just really your hang-up, that will become plain. Or if you're just trying to be self-righteous, then the other two will see that while you're confronting. On the other hand, if that person just gets so defensive because they don't want to admit what's going on, those other two might help to shed light on something that's hard for that person to see. Maybe they'll soften your words and the presence of others will make it work better. That's what Jesus wants. Maybe you'll regain them because you'll be able to more clearly find a path forward if it's two or three of you. And that's what is in Jesus' mind. Now, he adds more because that also doesn't always work. In verse 17, if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, Jesus says. Now, if in your mind you're picturing someone coming up here this morning and we're all gonna say, all right, everybody, listen to what this person did wrong. Here we are at the opera house. Time for roasting. No, that's not what Jesus has in mind either. The word church, when he uses it, is the word ecclesia, which just means assembly or gathering. And, in, and this is really important because there's a lot of distance between us and them. That gathering, the church, would have been a place where everybody knew everyone else, where their lives overlapped far more often than they were together on one day a week for worship on Sunday. It would have been people who had committed to one another and really pursued life together with one another, who knew what was, folks who knew what was happening in each other's lives. If you don't have that, let me, this is an aside, if you don't have that, I want you to understand that all of the value of what we're learning about in this series, how Jesus means to build a community that fits, it's gonna be really hard for you to experience it. And so if you don't have that, you should try to get it. And how would you get that? Talk to some people who come to worship with you and say, look, can we start spending time more regularly with one another? If you have to give some things up to do that, you should. Because that's how you'll grow into the kind of community which Jesus intends. But in the community Jesus intends, if those first two avenues of admonition fail, Jesus says, all right, get everybody together. Uh, And and it would have been in his day something like a long-term small group, which some of you have in this church. But he, would, he says, get them all together and then look at how he continues. And if the offender refuses listen, to listen even to the church, even to that assembly, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is, if all of you together are gonna confront that person and they're still unwilling to listen to reason, if they're still un- unwilling to accept that sin is the path they're going on, and that just means any path that is directly and willfully disobedient to what Jesus says you should do. If that happens, then put a boundary marker around. And listen, this is important. Jesus does not mean that uh, we should keep out people who are not sufficiently righteous. You notice he says, "Let, let that person be treated as, there's the phrase tax collector there. Do you see it? Matthew, who wrote this gospel, is a tax collector, and he's still a part of the community. What Jesus means here is that it is appropriate if you go this far, to have a boundary around who you are going to trust to build you up. Who's the person who you're going to open your ears to when it comes to genuine correction? And that person can only continue to be a part of that community so long as they're willing also to be challenged. Do you see it? If they'll never receive a word of correction, then you shouldn't receive any correction from them. Uh, If they're not willing to be pushed to faithfulness, then don't let that person push you to faithfulness. If, If a person refuses to be corrected while persisting in sin, Jesus is saying, 
That person puts themselves on the other side of the line, according to, to which we are responsible for building one another up in love. Our responsibility is to be willing and ready to admonish and be admonished. Do you think it's a challenging call? Yes. Especially in our day where everyone wants to be private and have their own way of operating here, we have to be very careful not to get the wrong idea. And I'm going to tell you right up front what we're not talking about here. We're not going to develop a punch list at church for what you have to do to climb in rank and sit closer to the front. That's not what's going to happen, all right? We're not going to designate uh, the morality police and begin handing out badges. That's not how it's going to work. Did any of you get to be that in school, the hall monitor? That's not what's going to happen, okay? We're not going to sharpen our pencils to see who can become more judgmental than other people. That's not what's pictured here. But listen to what it is, because this is something that all of us need. What is pictured here is loving my fellow disciple enough to tell her when I can see her going down a path which is going to hurt her and others, even if it makes me uncomfortable to say something. Even though I will feel really uneasy speaking up, to my friend, what we're picturing here is someone who takes that friend aside and says, look, you're not on the right path. You might get angry for what I'm going to say, but I love you enough to say it anyway because I'm going to put your well-being before my own comfort. Can you picture that? Have you ever thought, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to make them uncomfortable? Would you be willing to accept this morning that really in that moment you're putting your own comfort first rather than theirs? because it's gonna make you uncomfortable. What admonition Jesus' way looks like is like this, ready? A young man is throwing himself into an unhealthy relationship and all of his peers who've spent years with him look at it and say, something's not right about this, but he's so enthusiastic about it, no one wants to say anything. Have you ever been in that situation? But admonition which loves is willing to take that one aside and say, look, I'm gonna level with you. You're not being yourself. You're compromising your faith, and I think this is a really bad idea. That's what we're talking about. That's hard to say, don't you know? It's also hard to hear, but that's what love looks like. What we're talking about here is the kind of admonition that comes to a friend who has begun to believe all kinds of lies about where her value lies, and she is bowing down to the idol of vanity, and this kind of admonition is the kind that says, friend, You are beautiful inside and out because Jesus is your Lord. Stop bowing down to the wrong idol. You're believing lies. Go a different way. Can you see it? This is the kind of love for a friend who's been lying to you and to himself for a long time and he's really stubborn, but now you've seen the pattern and you know where it's gonna lead and even though it will be hard to confront him, you pray and you ask God for success and then you sit down and tell him the truth about where you see this path leading. You choose to put your own comfort behind what will benefit him and you say the truth like this. You are drinking too much and you need help. Or you have been trading in your family for career advancement and prestige and money, and it's an exchange that you're going to regret someday. You should stop. Or you gossip too much, and you need to stop slandering people who you look down on. Or your way of talking about your opponents is nothing like the way Christ taught us to treat one another. That's what admonishment Jesus' 
way is meant to look like. And, and this is what we need. We need to learn to speak like this to one another, and we need to let our fellow disciples speak like this to us. And, and this is a fact. The depth and integrity of our personal growth, every one of you, is really going to be conditioned by whether you're open to receiving this kind of admonishment from others and willing to be brave enough to give it to the people around you. And and that also means that our church, Renaissance Church, whether we become the kind of community that is going to achieve the great vision that God has for it is partly going going to be dependent upon whether we are loving one another enough to open up our mouths and say the truth to the people around us, even when it's difficult, so that we can serve the purpose of saying you're going the wrong direction, or on the other hand, so that we can receive from them the kind of correction that saves us from walking down a path that we're going down even though we shouldn't. And that's just a fact. And the reason Jesus taught those disciples like he did was because he loved them so much. And the reason that I bring this before us this morning is for us to grow to look more like love, we'll have to grow here. It doesn't feel like an easy thing to do, does it? Or does it feel, if it feels easy to you, please come up afterward and give me lessons. Would you do that? Or help us, because we need it. But here, God means to help us. And, and if I look back on my own life, I could, talk, I could talk for 12 hours about the times that I failed to receive admonishment or to give it, and at the, ev- at the end of every one of those stories was a disaster that could have been avoided. Anyone else in here admit that? Yes or no? Okay, so here's what we need then. We need practical guidance for how to do this effectively. And what's magnificent is not only did Jesus give that kind of guidance, but God's word in scripture comes to us to teach us how to do this well. And that's what we need. We need to learn to do it well. And again, not for any reason other than this is how we're gonna love each other. And here's what I've got for you. I've got, a f- I've got four words that are going to stand as a checklist for you before you go and admonish that person that you've been thinking of admonishing you, all right? So let- let's be practical. Some moms have been thinking, okay, now it's time for me to go ahead and talk to my son. I'm finally going to stick it to him. Oh, hold on, okay? Or, or siblings are thinking, I need to say something to my brother or my sister. I hope you are thinking of someone particular. Or this is really critical. The person that I'm growing with in the small group that I'm a part of at church needs me to say this. Before you say anything, you're going to apply these four tests and only then will you proceed in admonishment, okay? Here's the first point to check. It's your motive. Okay, before you ask a friend to sit down and talk, you have to question your own motivation. And if it's not the right motive, you're not going to say anything. Jesus' teaching uh, to the disciples was all based around this motive of regaining that other person. And the truth about us as Christians is it's very easy to feel self-righteous so that the real motive of our confrontation to others is to make ourselves feel better or is to build ourselves up or to draw a line again that we can push someone else outside of so we can feel more secure in ourselves. If that's your motive, you should not say anything at all. Agreed? On the other hand, if you're ready to speak to that person in order to build them up as an act of love, even if it's uncomfortable, then, if that's your motive, then you're ready to go ahead and confront that person. I want you to look at how Paul counsels Christians in the art of admonitions, admonition in his letter to the Galatian church. Here's what he wrote. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit 
should restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Do you see the motive there from Paul's uh, guidance? If God's spirit is in you prompting you to help that other see his sin or her sin, and it will be that that happens from time to time, and you can sit and gently share what you see, and if your motive is right there to restore that one, then you've passed the first test to whether it's time for you to go ahead and admonish them. The second test, which has to be added to the first, the test of your motive, is the test of mutuality. And this is indispensable. Before confronting the other, you have to ask yourself, am I willing to hear a word of challenge? Am I open to correction from my fellow disciples? If not, then you are not ready to offer correction. Here is a rule, and you should memorize this in your mind. If you are not willing to receive admonition from others, then you are not capable of giving admonition to others. And that's how it works. It's not just you'd be better at giving it if you could receive it. If you are not open to it, you cannot give it. And and listen, the world sees this in our pattern of being self-righteous and labeling other people sinners without looking at ourselves, and they, they say they're hypocrites. Do you know that? That's how it looks to many folks from the outside. And, and we should take that, that, uh, that view of us seriously enough to say, okay, are we ready to, to be mutual in our giving and receiving admonition? And maybe even it will be the world who has to tell us where we've got it wrong. We have to be that open to admonition before we give it to another. And Jesus, who taught us to directly confront one another, as he does in Matthew 18, also taught us that if we can't receive correction, we cannot give it earlier in the, in the Gospel of Matthew when he, when he said this, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. There is concrete teaching about the need for mutuality when it comes to correction. And by the way, do you notice that Jesus doesn't say, before you take the speck out of your neighbor's eye, take the speck out of your eye. Did you see that? Because Jesus is telling us that as soon as you start looking for other people's little faults, beware because you've got gigantic ones yourselves. And the lesson here is be mutual. Be open to mutual correction. If you're thinking, I need to correct that other person, right away you have to say, okay, but how do I need it? And listen now, I know that someone here is going to say, oh, thank God I don't need to admonish anyone at all because I have a log in my eye. I can turn off the rest of this message. We, we need each other, all of us. We do. And we need each other to have enough courage to say, there's something wrong here. And, and if you've passed the motive test, okay, then you can go to the next one. And if you've passed the mutuality test, that you are genuinely a person who also is ready to hear from others what's wrong with herself, then the third test is to check your method. And this is so clear in Jesus' teaching. He doesn't just say, if someone sins against you, tell them. He lays out a method which, which maintains the dignity and humanity of that other person. And if you've ever been corrected in front of a bunch of other people who are all trying to follow Jesus together, you know it can be shameful, right, and humiliating. That's not how Jesus works because he's got a method that protects the dignity and humanity of others. And for us, it means if we're going to have the right motive and be open to a mutual correction, then before we talk, we should sit down and do some planning. Like Jesus suggested, we should say, what's the right time to do this? What's the right place to do this? What's the right way for me to have this kind of conversation with that other? And to really actually work hard at thinking about how to say something difficult to the other Christians that are in the, in the fellowship with you. 
And, and listen, even if you're in middle school, you can start thinking like this already. I know that, uh, that, that even when we're young, we can have a, a positive influence on each other. And we never grow out of this. Uh, all, all our lives long, we'll need that kind of uh, correction. Paul, with the treasure of the community in Ephesus, directed them to have the right method when he wrote this, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Already the Spirit had unified them, and that's important for us to remember as well. We don't have to unite ourselves. God has united us because we're all equally needy. Every single one of us, as, as lost as any other person, when God's grace came and, and, he, and in Christ he gave his life for us all, we were united in that act of grace from God. So we're held together there. The Spirit has united us. But to maintain that unity, we need to confront one another and make every effort. That's that phrase there, to have the right kind of method when we approach this, this difficult task of admonishing. And if you've passed these three, then the last thing to test is this. It's your manner. And this is the most critical. To put it simply, if your manner in approaching that other is not love, you shouldn't talk to them at all. Have you noticed that we've had the word love appear in all of our songs that we've sung together? And that in our prayers and that in the scriptures that have been read, love has been a theme. That's no accident. It's because the God whom we serve and love in Jesus is the one who is love. Not just loving, but God is love. Do you know that scripture passage? That's one to commit to memory. It means that either I approach that conversation with the other in love or not at all. It means if my challenge does not come from love, then it should not be given to that other person. And here, it's impossible to improve upon the way that Paul pictures this manner of loving admonition further on in Ephesians, where in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, he says, speaking the truth in love we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Hold on just a minute before we get to the rest. The manner in which we're meant to speak to one another is loving. And, and more than loving, it is love itself to say that hard word, even when it doesn't feel loving to the other person. The only way to grow up into Christ is to be mature and courageous and brave and responsible enough to tell the truth to one another. And the only way to do that as a follower of Jesus is in love. And Jesus, in whom we are bound together, look at this, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. And that, all of that is about you and about me. Those are words about each and every one of us. We're ligaments in this body. All of us have been invited by God's grace to be knit together. Uh, and God has given this body, Renaissance Church, literally everything it needs to do what God means for it to do. And what God means for us to do is right there at the end. It is to build ourselves up in love. Amen. To have the responsible approach to building one another up that says the truth, which, which leads to all of us growing so that all together we look more like love. And that's what the world needs. And it will only see that happen when we ourselves here take responsibility for when it's necessary, offering a word of correction that gets a person back on the right path. For saying, you're going the wrong way, look over here. 
And, and we can only do that when we pass these tests. Let's look at all four of them together. And this is not just good advice. It's what God expects of us in the community which Jesus is building. And, and he's building a great community at Renaissance Church. Do you see that too? Yes, and it's going to be a community that's going to have even more responsibility as we move from this place to a place where we expand and have an even broader reach. And so here's what we're going to do. And I want you to do this with me. We're going to look at our motive when it comes to speaking to the people around us the truth. Would you be willing to do that? Yes or no? And then once we're doing that, this is absolutely critical. Be open to mutuality that I'm also going to let others say something challenging and difficult to me. Will you do that too? Don't say yes too quickly. Trust me, after the first service, someone came up to me and told me something I didn't want to hear, <laughs> but I needed to. So that's second. And then, and then to check our method, and by the way, it was the two of us alone, so <laughs> it went well. But to check our method and to think about how am I going to do this in a manner that is loving. And friends, if we'll do that, then the promise is that God will build us up in love. And that will be the thing that each of us needs individually more than anything else is to be built up in love. And then the community that God is building at Renaissance Church will grow in love as he means it to. And that's what we're all invited to be a part of. You should be a part of that with me. All of us should be a part of, a, a part of this with one another. What do you say, yes? Then let's pray together. God, thank you for a community that is ready to grow as you intend. I thank you for every single man and woman in this room. Uh, for each and every person who you've brought together here because you are knitting us together with every ligament with which you've equipped us as a church so that we can build each other up and be built up all together in love. God, this invitation this morning to take responsibility for admonishing one another is not an easy one. It is challenging. But we are ready for that challenge because you have given that challenge to us, and because you've also equipped us with everything we need to receive that challenge faithfully. And so I ask that all of us here would grow individually and together to become more and more the men and women and also the community which you are intending to build for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.